Well, please open your Bibles with me again this afternoon to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to continue on in Luke's gospel here. As we heard about the birth of John the Baptist uh, this morning, and we continue to go uh, to, to hear when Zechariah's mouth was open, uh, what he went on to say. And so let's pause and pray and ask for God's blessing as we come to this part of his word. Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 67. Let's ask for God's blessing. Father, we thank you for your word. It is true and trustworthy, uh, purer than silver, refined seven times. The scripture cannot be broken. Till everything is accomplished, not one of the smallest part of your word will pass away and fall away. Father, and we're thankful that these are the words of eternal life, because they point us to uh, the Lord and giver of life, the one who has brought immortality and life to light, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray for the eyes of faith to see him, the ears of faith to hear him, hearts of faith to uh, love him and trust him, and feet of faith to walk in his ways. Father, may we be a believing people, and so know uh, your blessing and your goodness in the land of the living, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 1. And we'll begin the reading at verse 67. This is God's holy word. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, this particular part of Luke's gospel from uh, verse uh, 67 on is often called the Benedictus. We looked at uh, Mary's words last week and we uh, noted that they're often called the Magnificat from the first word 
in the Latin version of the Bible. And similarly here, uh, because of the first word in the Latin Bible, blessed be God, in Latin we get the word benedictus. So if you see that ever, that's referring to these words of Zechariah on the birth of his son, John the Baptist. Uh, The Greek word, though, gives us our English word eulogy. Eulogy. Uh, Literally, a eulogy is a good word. You you speak a good word. Uh, Often we use that in the context of a funeral when someone has died. But God here is showing himself very much alive and working, and Zechariah eulogizes the living God. Praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord, verse 68. We know we should. We know we should praise the Lord. But sometimes we need help. Often we need help. And here we are helped because Zechariah, the Holy Spirit through Zechariah, doesn't simply say, praise the Lord, close our Bibles. He gives us reasons why. Praise the Lord because. And as we go through these uh, words of Zechariah, uh, we'll see... uh, Three things particularly that let God, about God that led Zechariah and should lead us to bless him and to praise him. Why should we praise the Lord? Well, first of all, because he is the God who speaks. He is the God who speaks. Christianity is a revealed religion. Look at verse 70. Just jump to that verse. As he said through his holy prophets long ago. That's the big context of these words of Zechariah. As Zechariah begins to explain what God was doing at the birth of John and of Jesus, he's very aware that all these things were revealed long ago. It's a very important little verse in the Bible. It tells us so much about God and about the Bible itself. Again, Christianity is a revealed religion. It's not a religion that works itself upwards, where we just start with ourselves and try to figure things out about God. It's not just man's thinking about God. It is God speaking to people. And as we think of the God who speaks, that tells us many things as well. It tells us that God is a living, personal being. He is able to speak. The idols don't speak. They have mouths but do not speak. And God speaks. And he has graciously revealed himself and his plans to humanity. If God had not revealed himself, how could we know him? If God had not spoken, then many of the philosophers in history would have been right that man can't know anything certainly about the realm of the divine. But God has spoken. He has told us. If God had not spoken, how could we have rightly understood and interpreted his world and his will? and ourselves. 
Even in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, God spoke with Adam and Eve so that they could understand what they needed to know about God and what God required of them. What a blessing that God speaks. If you watched any part of the recent Emergencies Act inquiry, you maybe were as frustrated as I was because it seemed it was doomed to failure from the beginning. Why? As soon as we heard the government say, parliamentary privilege. We're not going to tell you what we talked about. Or then even more, solicitor-client privilege. The lawyers for the government advised the government, but then they they had the clever thought, Well, if we are lawyers advising the government, uh, that's confidential. So we we won't tell anyone about it. And so it seemed at every turn, there was frustration and roadblocks because nothing was revealed. But that's not Christianity. Isn't it wonderful that God has spoken to us? B.B. Warfield pointed this out. He said, you know, God could have saved us anyway without revealing his word to us. He could have saved us without giving us a Bible. But think of it this way. He has not only saved you, he has let you in on it, said Warfield. He has allowed us not only to be saved, but to learn from him about that plan of salvation and about his grace and his mercy so that we could praise and glorify him even more. He's revealed it to us. Didn't Jesus say, I no longer call you servants, but friends? A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But God has let us in on it. And it's a wonderful blessing and privilege. And if it's God who has spoken, we can know this. God is faithful. As we saw with Mary's words, here we see the covenant faithfulness of God. He is the great promise keeper. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. God said something long ago. And now in the days of Zechariah, it's coming to pass. You know, it's often the long ago part that's the challenge for us, isn't it? Verse 73 mentions Abraham. That was long ago for Zechariah. But God kept his promise. We can be often so impatient. And that impatience can lead us to doubt or disbelief. But Zechariah praises the faithfulness of God. Promises made even as far back as Abraham. God had not forgotten he is faithful and he is working it out. The first coming of Jesus after God's promise long ago should help us and encourage us and if need be warn us that God is faithful and his word will come to pass as we considered this morning. God has promised that Jesus 
will come back again. It seems for us so long ago that the angel said in Acts 1, 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Wasn't that so long ago? 2,000 years ago. And we are in one of those long ago kind of situations that Zechariah was in his day. But God spoke faithfully. Long ago is no problem with God. He is faithful. He is the God who speaks. His word is true and faithful. And he speaks to us in scripture. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. The he is of course God. When the prophets spoke, God spoke. The words of the prophets in the Old Testament were God's words. There is one author of the Bible. 2 Peter 1.20, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What the Bible says God says. God speaks through his word. Praise God for the Bible. Praise God for the Bible. Don't ever open it without thanking God for it and praising him for it. Because in the Bible is where you and I are able to hear God speaking. God speaks as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. J.C. Ryle said, Old Testament believers fed much on God's promises. They were obliged to walk by faith far more than we are. They knew nothing of the great facts which we know about Christ's life and death and resurrection. They looked forward to redemption as a thing hoped for but not yet seen, and their only warrant for their hope was God's covenanted word. Their faith may well put us to shame. So far from disparaging Old Testament believers as some are disposed to do, we ought to marvel that they were what they were. Zechariah here praises God because he's the God who has spoken. Christianity is a revealed religion. Secondly, he praises God because God saves. God saves. Christianity is a redemptive religion. Zechariah here, again, is not just rejoicing in the birth of baby boys. By the Holy Spirit, he sees the great purpose and great blessing in it all. God is saving his people. Verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation. The horn is a picture of strength, strong to save, able to save. A horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. That's pointing to Jesus, the great, David's greater son. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. 
Zechariah is praising God because God is the God who saves. And people have read these words and have suggested that the salvation and rescue that Zechariah had in mind was mostly political. That like many of the Jews of his day, they wanted to get out from underneath Roman oppression and rule. They wanted their land back. They wanted their cultural freedom. They were hoping for a political savior. That was true of many Jews in the first century. It's true of many Jews and Gentiles in the 21st century. We want our land back. We want our cultural freedom. We want a political savior. But listen, listen carefully to Zechariah. Verse 77. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's not political. That's personal. The forgiveness of sins. Zechariah, like all the prophets and all the true spiritual Israelites, ultimately had in mind the greatest rescue and salvation there is, salvation from hell, rescue from the wrath of God, in the forgiveness of sins. That's what Zechariah is praising God for. The forgiveness of sins. And that reminds us, what is our biggest problem? What is our great enemy in life? Is it just your circumstances or your job or members of your family or people around you? Our greatest problem is sin in our own heart and lives. It's a spiritual issue. Spiritual enemies, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Remember Paul said that in Ephesians 6? You need to remember that. It's a spiritual thing. The devil hates you more than your worst enemy on earth hates you. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Deal with those and you can deal with anything. We can't deal with them on our own. We need a savior. And God has dealt with them in Jesus Christ, definitively at the cross and one day in consummation at the last great day. This is what God has done. Verse 79, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. That's what the world was plunged into because of sin. Darkness. In all the ways that darkness is spoken about in the Bible. The darkness of ignorance. We didn't know what we should know. or We pressed down the truth in unrighteousness. The darkness of impurity and of sin and just the misery of darkness the dark can be so miserable we can be encouraged by just the, the, the smallest light shining on the horizon if we see it the light at the end of the tunnel darkness is discouraging and miserable and this is the darkness of death And we know that the Bible speaks of an even greater outer darkness that's eternal, that is hell. 
Zechariah here is speaking so much about the salvation that God has accomplished for his people out of darkness and sin and condemnation. And he traces the source of this salvation, verse 72 and verse 78, to God's mercy. Again, I'm not just saying this because I thought, oh, I'm going to preach a lot on mercy today. It's just here. It's just here over and over and over again in the Bible. It's God's mercy. No human merit compels God to save. John means God is gracious or merciful. When a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The mercy of God in Jesus Christ. God is merciful. God is merciful. And many people claim that in a general, vague, abstract way. Oh, God will be merciful. But he's merciful in Jesus Christ. And so the call is here to faith in Christ. That's the only place you find the mercy of God. There was only one place that the mercy of God was revealed in the Old Testament. That was the mercy seat where the blood of the sacrifice covered the Ark of the Covenant which contained the law of God. That's where mercy is found. It's found in Jesus Christ. But it is found in Christ. There is mercy for sinners. And what's the goal of this salvation? What's the goal of it? What's the purpose of it? Is it our physical health, our financial freedom, our self-esteem? Look, look at verses 74 and 75. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and I'll look at it positively, and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Why does God save us? For his glory. That word serve is often translated worship. That we would worship God. We are saved to serve. To worship him and to obey him and honor him. We are saved in order to become a living sacrifice to God. Save to be enabled more and more to obey his law, not with a slavish fear that has to do with judgment, but as thankful sons and daughters of a glorious father. Saved to be holy and righteous, not because we were holy and righteous, but to be holy and righteous, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. And to do this all of our days even all of our days into eternal ages. Praise the Lord. To guide our feet into the path of peace. Did you, did you listen to Justin Trudeau's Christmas message? I, I just heard a report on it. Part of it, he's, he asked Canadians to remember how fortunate we are to live in a country of peace. Well, that's true. We're blessed in many ways. I didn't wake up in, in eastern Ukraine 
this morning without heat or water or food. We are blessed in many ways. But what about peace with God? And what about the deep and true and lasting peace with one another that can only come united to Christ? We won't have the unity that people talk about all the time apart from Christ. There's too much still in us to get in the way. We need Christ's forgiveness. We need Christ's love in our hearts. We need his mercy toward each other to live in the paths of peace. Why is there always so much trouble in the church? Do you ever wonder about that? The devil hates it. He hates Christ. He hates Christ's people. He hates the church. And he will do anything he can to get a foothold to, to disrupt our peace. We need to have God help us to deal with the enemy that we have that's prowling around the church so that we will be able, in, with peace with God, to live in peace and to guide our feet into the path of peace. God's spoken. Christianity is a revealed religion. Praise God. God saves. Christianity is a redemptive religion. Praise God. And third, we could say here that God sends. God sends. Christianity is a missionary religion. The third part of Zechariah's prophecy is the literal prophecy. He foretells what God will do. First, God will send John. He starts to speak. And you, my child, that's what the NIV says. Literally, it, there's no possessive pronoun there. And you, child. It's bigger than just the Zechariah's family. or It's because it's his boy. This is God's ordained child. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. God will send John, the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. The fulfillment of Malachi 3, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. John was sent by God to announce what would soon take place. He came to point people. He was sent to point people to the real issues of sin and repentance. And he was sent to point to the ultimate one who was sent the great apostle of our salvation. Apostle means sent. Jesus is the great apostle of our salvation, sent from heaven to this world to save his people. John was the last Old Testament prophet before God was to send his greatest gift to men, his own son, the Messiah, Jesus, who is the horn of salvation in the house of David, who is the rising sun. Again, Malachi 4.2, the sun of righteousness will arise with healing in its wings. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. God sent John because God was sending Jesus. God sent his son and named him Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When all was dark and death, God sent his son, the light of the world. Praise be to the Lord, that God is ascending God. that he has sent Christ, who's the light of the world. Let light shine out of darkness. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God sent John. God sent Jesus. And then God sent the apostles, the sent ones, to witness to Christ and to give us the New Testament scriptures. Jesus said in John 20, 21, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That the apostles were sent out to go on after the Lord to give people the knowledge of salvation. That we have again the word of God pointing us to Jesus Christ. In Christ, God continues as he sent out the apostles though they are the foundation layers in a unique way, in Christ, God continues to send his people out. Because in Christ, we too are the light of the world. The church is being sent into the world. We aren't just whisked into heaven the moment we're saved. Why? Because we're being sent into the world. If you're a Christian, God saves you to serve him and he's sending you into the world you're not of the world but he's sending you in the world this is more than just a word for ministers or missionaries john was sent to prepare the way for the lord historically and literally and uniquely that is once it's done it's not repeated but we are sent as well in god's providence to speak to others about God's word and his salvation. And though God is sovereign, he uses people to prepare the way for them to come to Christ as sinners. If you're a Christian, God is sending you into your school, into your workplace, into your activities, into your neighborhood, into your retirement. God is sending us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, said Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Christianity is a missionary religion. Praise God that we have such a privileged task in the world. There were times when God used angels, but by far he uses people. 
more than angels, to bring his word to the world. Christianity is a missionary religion. Praise the Lord. Well, God speaks. Let me ask you this afternoon, to whom shall you listen? God saves. In whom are you trusting? And God sends. Whom do you serve? When God graciously opened Zechariah's mouth, the first words out of his mouth were, praise be to the Lord. May God help us to have open mouths to praise our God. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Let's pray.